Today is uh, the weekly English Dhamma talk on some subject of the Buddhist teaching. Actually, I was wondering whether or not to give a talk tonight. I assumed there might be one or two people because this afternoon we had a guest speaker. So we consider that one one talk a day is enough. Otherwise people might get bored listening. They might feel worried that uh, there's not enough time for meditation. You know how keen everyone is to put in 10, 12 hours of meditation a day. So it's kind of a shame that we have to put you through these terrible talks again and again. But Nonetheless, there are English-speaking people here who didn't get the opportunity to hear the Dhamma in the afternoon, so this is their chance now. For the rest of you, you can take the opportunity to sit and meditate. I think we'll, we won't go very long this evening. Today, I'd like to just go over a little bit of background about what we've done to get to this, to, to where we are today. Uh, sort of to help us understand the importance of what we're doing here. And help us to understand what it is that we are doing here. Put it in some kind of context. We have to admit to ourselves that we know very little about this universe there's many things clearly that we don't know and don't understand. But it's funny how this doesn't seem to uh, concern us very much. We spend most of our time acting as though we understand life pretty well. And we sort of wing it, as they say. We find ourselves just following after what other people do or going with what little data we have. Uh, we go by hearsay, bang, hearsay some, sometimes. We go by uh, our own limited experiences sometimes. But it's clear that we don't really understand why we're here and what uh, what direction we should go in. We don't really get the full significance of what's in front of us. We don't really understand it very, very clearly. There's a story in the Buddha's time. There's there was a woman who was the they say she was a weaver's daughter. It's the story of the weaver's daughter who went to see the Buddha, went to hear the Buddha talk, and listen to the Buddha talk about death. And death is one of those things that we really don't know uh, a lot about. We know it's coming to all of us, but we don't really understand what it means. Often we think we do, or we get. Uh, sort of an idea from science. And we generally 
have a consensus in this day and age that that's it, when you die that's it. Although I suppose not, then the, this is if we talk about people who are non-religious. Of course, religious people have a whole lot of other things to say. They say, uh, depending on this or that practice, this or that belief, you can go to heaven or you can go to hell. That there is life after death. But at any rate, it's a very important point in life. It's uh, if you're sure there's nothing after, then it's it's not that important, I suppose. Uh, it's just this inevitable kind of uh, like that's it, that's all, folks. And there's not much we can do about it, and so we sort of tend to live our lives not thinking about the consequences of our actions, because we know that in the end all of the consequences are meaningless, because you, then you die. We're pretty sure about this, I think, in general. We have a good feeling about this. But when we start to practice meditation, we come to see that there's, this is quite a limited outlook on life, and it's very much based on uh, concept and intellectualization. But in reality what we call the body, what we say is going to die, it doesn't really exist in the first place. That really all we've got is a bunch of sensations which are received by the mind. And it's the mind which is real. It's the mind which exists. And this mind doesn't have any reason, doesn't show any sign of dying. And there's nothing there to die, there's nothing there getting old. The mind isn't getting old, it comes and it goes, it changes all the time. And so we see that really we're just being ignorant. We're looking at things from a fairly uh, limited viewpoint, and a very external viewpoint at that. It has nothing to do with the reality inside of us. So the Buddha was explaining how important death actually is to us because we don't know what's going to happen at the moment of death. We don't know where the mind's going to go. Obviously it can't uh, rest in, in this frame, in this uh, reality. But it's also very obviously accumulating a lot of stuff. It's like we can be a very evil person, but we've still got this universe, this frame of reference, if we're a very rich or a very powerful person, we don't really have to worry about all of the evil we're accumulating, because we got this uh, luxury to, to cling to. We've got security, we've got uh, stability, we've got a lot of we've got power, we've got money, we've got influence, we've got friends. So we can do a lot of evil things, be a really terrible person, and not really have to worry about it. But when we die, all of those things disappear, right? For sure, that's what's going to die. All of our luxury, all of our security, all of our friends, all of our family. Our whole physical world is going to disappear. 
I mean, even if we say, the, even if the mind still hangs around, we can't, we don't get any of that stuff, right? So the body's dead, we, we have no luxury, we, we can't use any of the things which we used to cling to. And we don't know what's going to happen to the mind, we don't know where it's going to go. But we do know that we've accumulated a heck of a lot in the mind. That inside the mind there's a lot of things that, hmm, maybe we're sorry that we accumulated. And we don't realize this. We don't realize what a uh, dangerous uh, thing it is to accumulate all of these unwholesome mind states. So the Buddha was just explaining how important, because actually what happens at that moment is you, of course, you fly after, you chase after those uh, mind states. All of the bad things we've done, they come back. They say when you die, your whole life flashes before your eyes. Why it does that is because it's all you've got to cling to now is this, uh, this mental uh, portfolio that we've put together. The body's no longer responsive. All you've got is all your memories and everything just comes up. The mind is suddenly, the world, the universe is suddenly so mental, so uh, so very much based on the mind and there's all these memories and we cling and suddenly we freak out because of all of the bad things we've done. So she, this, this weaver's daughter, she took this to heart and she went back and she she thought about this all the time. She was always, whatever she did, she was always thinking about death and always, uh, you know, not in a morbid sense, but always like, you know, don't be, don't be negligent, don't be lazy. Don't let yourself fall into evil states because when you die, it's time to pay the price. It's time to put all this together. And if you've had a lot of bad thoughts, you're going to be really upset at the moment of death. And what happens is, of course, it takes you to a bad place. This is what we understand as Buddhists. Based on the, I mean, we, we've we've gotten a lot of instruction from the Buddha, and from the Buddha's disciples, from those people who can remember their past lives and so on. We have a lot of verification on this, but it, it it isn't that hard to understand if you're a meditator because it's all based on the mind anyway, and the mind's not going anywhere. The mind doesn't take up space. It doesn't. It isn't this big or that big. It isn't tall or wide. It's nothing to do really with the, the death and the birth of the body. I mean, it's going to be pretty freaked out when there's no body left to cling to, but uh, it's clear that something else is going to come. That the, the fluctuations of the physical uh, plane are going to continue. But they continue in a different way. It's not really clear to most of us how that happens, that's all. Three years later, the Buddha came back and... He knew, he, he, he picked her out of the crowd, he remembered her, and he knew that something was, uh, something was special about her. So when she came up, he, he looked straight at her through the crowd. And when he looked straight at her, everybody turned to look and see what the Buddha was looking at. And so they cleared a path for her, and she walked up the front. And the Buddha was going to use her as a real example. And the Buddha asked her, where are you coming from? Kuto Akachasi, where, where have you come from? And standing right in front of the Buddha, she said, I don't know. And the truth is, she'd just come from her, her uh, she'd come from the, the spinners. She'd gotten a bunch of thread and she was heading back to her father's uh, loom, her father's studio. 
And she said, I don't know, my Lord. And so the Buddha asked her, uh, where are you going? Kata kachasi. Kata kamisasi. Where are you? Where will you go? And she said, I don't know. I don't know, my Lord. But she knew she was going to her father's studio. And so the Buddha asked her, well, don't you know? And she said, yes, I know. And then the Buddha said, do you, do you know? And she said, no, I don't know. And all the people were all like, this was this crazy weaver's girl doing, get her out of here. She's, you know, making fun of the Buddha. It's not really proper. And the people were getting really upset. And so the Buddha asked her, well, what do you mean by that? You know, you, 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 don't, you don't know where you were coming from? What, did you, what was your meaning? And she said, well, you know, I don't expect the Buddha to, to waste his time asking me about where I've come from, you know, in this life. The meaning, of course, is clear. I mean, where where have you come from? And it can only mean one thing. The you, where does it come from? Before, it means that before you were born, where have you where you come from? And she said, this I don't know. Coming into this life, I don't know where I've come from. I mean, think about it. The things we don't know, we, none of us know where we're coming from. And so we really, if you want to put it bluntly, we really don't know who we are. We know so very little about ourselves, and we've just put together this haphazard I. And actually, we're so much more than that, that we just don't know. And then he said, well, what do you mean then, then when I ask you where you're going? First he goes, sadhu, sadhu, the Buddha was all appreciative, he liked the answer. And then he asked her, well, what about where are you going? And she said, well, you know, the same thing. I mean, I know I'm going to my father's, uh, my father's studio, but that's meaningless, really. I mean, in the ultimate sense, I have no clue where I'm going. When I die, I might, you know, be born as a toad or a, a, a rat. I don't know whether I'm going to a good place or a bad place. I have no clue. And he goes, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And she, he asks her, okay, and then when I asked you, uh, don't you know? And then you said, I do know. What does that mean? And she said, well, don't you know? I mean, don't I know the, the most important question? The answer to the most important question, don't I know that I'm going to die? I mean, yes, I do know that I'm going to have to go. That in the end, we all have to die. And then he says, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. What about uh, the last question when I asked, do you know? You said, no, I don't. And she said, well, the only question left is, when am I going to die? And this, of course, is what I don't know. This is the big unknown. We don't know what day or how we're going to go. We don't know what's going to be the cause of our death and so on. And the Buddha said, sadhu, sadhu. Very good. And this is sort of how we all stand. We stand in this not knowing where we've come from, not knowing where we're going. When we come to practice meditation, we don't even really realize why we're coming to practice meditation, what's the importance. I think we're pretty laid back, often far too laid back about the practice. We just don't realize the importance of it. So we have a little bit of pain or a little bit of difficulty and we 
we just run away like we just throwing away gold we pick up some gold and we say oh it's heavy and we throw it away we have no clue what it is that we've picked up here we don't realize how difficult it is to become a Buddha this is the first thing the Buddha he took 16 uncountable eons they say to become a Buddha uh, in, the, in the end once he made the vow it was four he became a Buddha in four uncountable eons and a hundred thousand great great eons an uncountable eon an asankhaya it's a period of time that is uncountable you can't count it but they say if you had a pit that was a was uh, what eleven eleven kilometers across or something no sixteen kilometers across sixteen kilometers deep sixteen kilometers sixteen cubic meters a cubic uh, mile uh, kilometers sixteen cubic kilometers is this huge canyon and every hundred years say the Grand Canyon as an example every hundred years someone were to come and take a, a sesame seed and drop it in the canyon a hundred years later drop another one they say eventually the, the canyon would be filled would be full of sesame seeds and then one by one you take the sesame seeds out every one one seed every hundred years the canyon will be full, the Grand Canyon will be full and empty for an uncountable eon uh, was a past. This is an, uh, an example or a comparison. But really it's something that's just uncountable, it's just unfathomable. And this is how long four of these went by before the Buddha uh, was able to develop his perfections, his virtues, the point where he was able to understand everything. They say the Buddha knew everything. And so it's something very special. It's not like, you know, poof, every day a Buddha comes. I mean, even we can think about it in our lives. You know, how special it is that we have a meditation course here. I've organized these courses all over the place, and it's not easy. And it's very, which is what's more easy is for it to just fall apart. You never know when, how long it's going to last. You never know how long these things are going to you know, Here we have a room full of people. So it's an amazing opportunity that we have. It's amazing to think that this is possible. When I came two years ago, I thought, you know, maybe we'll have five people, ten people, and it was just amazing how, how, uh, how many people, how much interest there was in the meditation practice, even without any notice. And now after three years, we can see that we've grown a lot. And we've gained a lot from this. We've got something wonderful going on here that we don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know if this is the last year or if we're going to have a chance to practice this later. So this is something that we have to take advantage of. We have to be very uh, careful about. We have to not waste the opportunity that we have is one reason why we, we should all put our hearts into the practice. The second reason is that we're, we're, born as a hum, we're born as human beings, and this is something we have no clue about. I mean, we think, oh yeah, everyone's a human, you know, look at all the humans around. It's actually not that common a thing. If you compare it to the number of animals, uh, we don't realize that we could have been born a, uh, a dog or a pig. 
or a mosquito or an ant. We don't realize that when we die, we might very well be born one of these things. You can see it in other people. There's a lot of people out there who are very animal in nature. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their in their speech. And there's not much human about many people out there. And they have no, no higher uh, mind states arising. And when they die, it's not likely that they're going to be able to make the jump back into the human world. And we as well don't know. We don't know where we're going when we die. It's very easy to be born as, a, as an animal. It's very difficult to be born as a human. The Lord Buddha said the difficulty in being born as a human being is like a turtle on the great ocean, say the Pacific Ocean, a sea turtle that lives at the bottom of the sea. And suppose it was this sea turtle was this, this breed of turtle that only had to come up and breathe every 100 years. So every 100 years it would stick its nose up, get some air, and then go back down to the bottom of the sea. And then suppose that in the, on the, in the whole of the Pacific Ocean, there was one uh, life preserver, lifesaver, these, these round life, life uh, tubes, inner tube kind of things. No, actually, in, sorry, in the Sudden they say a yoke, um, an ox yoke, this thing they put on the shoulders of the ox, and it, someone had thrown it into the ocean. The chances of becoming being born a human being are greater, are, are less than, are are less than the chances of that turtle when he comes up to the top of the ocean, having his neck go into the place of the of the yolk. There's a greater chance of that happening than for us to be born a human being. So you can look at everyone in this room or everyone who's become a human being and you can see there's something something pretty cool about them. That these are not ordinary people. These are people, these are beings who have done something to get here. And this is why in everybody you can sort of, most people anyway, you can find a good side to them. You can find something that they've done to get here. This is why we all say we have a good side and a bad side and we get this idea that everyone's the same and everyone's got the same num amount of good and amount of bad. This isn't true. But we've all got something good and that's what led us here. It's not ordinary to be born a human. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know when we're going to die. I mean, we're so worried about death. We're so worried about, you know, uh, keeping ourselves healthy. and We're so worried about our bodies, keeping our bodies in good shape. We're even so worried about our possessions. And it's really ridiculous because all of these things in the end they're meaningless. We waste all of our time as human beings focusing on these these material things, our life, how to protect ourselves so that we can live a long life, but a meaningless life. And you know, protecting our bodies, and protecting our our uh, possessions. In meditation, it's the opposite. We we look at it this way. Your possessions, you give them up to save your uh, to save parts of your your body parts, right? To save your health. This is this is ordinary. We'll give up we'll give up money to save our to save our organs to save our bodily system. 
but we'll even give up our health to save our life. So sometimes we have to you know, cut out part of our body or um, we have to give up some part of our body to save our life. But we go one further step here and we say we even we give up our money, we give up our, uh, our, body, our health, we even give up our life to save our mind. This is one. This is a step we're not willing to make ordinary as as, as normal people. We're not interested in, in saving our mind. It's meaningless. No, it's meaningless to most of us. We don't even know what, really what our mind is. We think it's part of the brain, or it's the same as the brain. And so we go about saving these three things and making sure our possessions, our health, and our life, and we waste our 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 whole lives neglecting our mind. And this is really what 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 uh, our purpose is as being human for being human beings is to develop our minds. This is why they give the name of humans in uh, in Pali. They say manusa. Usa means high, and mana means mind. It might even it might even be the the correct etymology of human. Hu is perhaps something high. Man mana means the mind. Human. I don't know. But it's possible that in ancient times it came from this from Manusa as well. This opportunity to be a human, I mean, look at how we waste it. We we have these hands, we have legs, we have we have this this system that works pretty well. It's able to heal itself and so on. We have the system that we can really put to work. And what do we do with it? We go out and work meaningless jobs, uh, or you know, with a very limited meaning. We try to find maybe as much meaning as we can, but often that's really nothing. Maybe we're, at best, we're healing other people, we're helping to heal their bodies and keep them healthy or so on. But we neglect so much the, 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 the most important thing about being a human, and this is the mind. And we, we, we put this body to such little use, and this is... Uh, this is why I'm. I'm. I'm it's, it's quite surprising or, or uh, confusing why so many people out there they look at the idea of becoming a meditation, a meditator even. They look at the idea of becoming a, a meditation teacher or the idea of becoming a monk or a nun as something distasteful, as something like extreme. And it's it's really curious. It's very strange that they should see uh, working a meaningless job uh, so that they can have a whole lot of meaningless things and a lot of meaningless pleasures and develop all sorts of unwholesome mind states. They should see that as more normal, more reasonable than doing something really meaningful. And you know, it's because we don't understand reality. We don't understand that it's, reality is mind-based. It's not based on the body. The body is all a whole bunch of concepts. It's the mind that comes first, and then there arises bodily sensations because the mind is aware of them. This is the second thing: is being born a human being. The third one is uh, our health. I mean, we 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 don't know how long our health is going to last. I mean, there's a lot of people out there now who get cancer, and we don't know when this is going to come or who it's going to come to. 
This is a really big one now. I've always joked that uh, I think it'd be neat to have cancer because you know it'd be an experience that uh, sort of unique, and it'd be an interesting opportunity to meditate. But for most of us, it's, I don't think it's a good thing. I think if we haven't gotten settled in the meditation, it's probably not a good thing to get cancer right away, for sure. I mean, besides the obvious fact that you're not going to be very happy with cancer. Uh, I think it's also an, a cause for people to give up meditation and be overwhelmed by the sensations. But I think if you're well established in the meditation, it could actually be a help for your practice. I mean, think about it the other way. Cancer is just a bodily thing. And you're still here in the mind. There's still the mind which is bright, which is luminous, which doesn't have to be upset in any way. And if you're able to, if you have all these these difficult sensations, difficult to bear, you know, the inability to do all the things you'd normally like to do and the, the breaking down of the body, uh, I think it'd be a great opportunity to train yourself if you're up to it. But I think for most of us, we have to really take advantage of the good health that we have in the beginning, because most of us are unable. You know, we're, it's just like the pain that I've got right now is too much. Forget about the idea of getting a debilitating disease. And just being able to sit here is 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 far, far more than enough. Uh, and I think this is something that we we have to. We have to be very clear about that. Uh, we don't most of the, most of the time we don't realize uh, the opportunity that we have here. Not only our physical body, but also our situation. Our the, the, our situation is very special. Some people are very upset because they've lost their jobs, or um, well, something has happened that they're not able to find work, or so on. But actually, we turn it around and we see what an opportunity we have that most people don't have. Our health is good, our body works, our mind works, uh, and we have this free time. This is something very rare. There's so many people out there who want to come and meditate, and they have one day, two days. It's not nearly enough. When we think about it, we, once we've got time, there was a woman who came to see me today. This is an example of someone who's taken the bull by the horns, who's taken her life uh, in her own hands, taken, taken the wheel, as they say. This woman, she has a business, and so she works, but she's going to come and stay with us and go to work every day for just for a few hours. It's her own business, so she's lucky. But then she's going to come back and stay with us for a whole month, if that's how long it takes to finish the course she's going to do it. I mean, it's this kind of thing that really makes me feel uh, encouraged. I mean, seeing people living their lives, working their jobs, and still able to keep eight precepts, for instance. This is not an easy thing to do. Everyone else is eating in the evening, giving up eating in the evening. People who shave their heads, put on robes, it's not something ordinary. It's not something that, uh, you know, it's because people, you know, they have nothing else in life, so they become a monk or a nun. This is taking life uh, by the horns, taking the bull by the horns. This is taking the wheel. 
This is taking charge of your own life. This is saying all or nothing uh, to the moon or bust. Or so it's like giving up your life. It's like saying if I die, I die. It's like uh, finally taking the plunge and saying no, I refuse to delude myself any longer. I know these things are not the re reality. This is not real. And going that step. And, you know, this person, she knows she needs to have her job, but she's going to just do, do it is do it. She's going to have her job and dedicate herself to the practice. People who dedicate their lives to meditation practice. It's not an, ord not an ordinary thing to do. Dedicate their lives to teaching, to studying, and to practicing the Buddhist teaching. We have this great opportunity. It's it's it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's so incredible to me that more people don't take the opportunity. But I think oftentimes it's because they don't ha they don't have the opportunity. They haven't met with the practice. They haven't met with it with Buddhist the Buddha's teaching from a practical point of view. And so it's very difficult uh, for them to see clearly the importance of what we're doing here. But all of us here, we have something special. Uh, and there's something special about all of us that we've taken the opportunity. I'm not afraid to say it. It's not bragging, really. There's something special about anybody who takes the time to really and truly appreciate uh, the teachings of the Lord Buddha. Because these are the teachings about reality. The teachings on how to understand reality how to make real meaning and real sense of the life that we have, we have fallen into. And so this is uh, what I'd like to impress upon all of us here and now, that if you've only taken a couple of days, please try to find time to take more days. There's no reason, none of the other things in life are important. If you, in the end, if you die, you die. It's not really important. It's not real. It's only the body that disappears. If you've done the foundation course, come back for the advanced course. If you've done the advanced course, do another advanced course. If you've got uh, got no job, I'll give you a job. If you want to learn how to teach, I'll teach you how to teach. If you want to become a monk, I'll help you to ordain. On the 27th, that's the day after tomorrow, we have a man coming who wants, from Ottawa, Canada, who wants to become a monk. So we'll have to see if he's able to do it. He wants to become a monk for his whole life. This is someone who's, to me, who's taken charge. But, you know, whatever we have, we take that. I want, just want to impress upon people, whatever, whatever opportunity you have, don't, uh, don't miss the opportunity. The Lord Buddha said, Don't let the moment pass you by. These words that we hear so often these days, they're actually 2,500 years old. It's the words of the Buddha, Kano Voma Upachaka, don't let the moment pass you by. The opportunity that we've gotten here, don't let it pass you by. If you've got time, don't rush out and find work. Don't rush out and do this, do that. Don't rush out and get busy in the world. In the end, all of those things are meaningless. We've got something here that's very meaningful. So... 
today this is the Dhamma for today and I'll leave you all with that and everybody please try to do some practice before you go back to your rooms you can practice in here or you can go back and practice in your rooms that's all for tonight